BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, rave line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that rave line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year oh no hello everybody welcome back to reign of troy radio episode 391 on tuesday november 17th this is after usc's 33 30 win over the arizona wildcats we're going to button it all up with a huge mailbag talk about the over under and so much more here in this episode as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com, slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Omni, anywhere you can find a podcast, we are there. Our email address is Troy at fansider.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC, second What's Brewing Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along here in the Reign of Troy studio with my co-host, Alisa Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. It is Tuesday. Uh, we're recording this Monday night, of course. And have you simmered down from that SC loss, I mean win, on Saturday afternoon? Well, I had to do the rewatch on Sunday, so not really. <laughs> that was uh, reliving that whole frustration over again the next day. So, uh, <laughs> not... Uh, my feelings... You say it didn't age well. My feelings have only intensified after getting a second look oh at that game. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, we we got tons of comments about the CarCast. People riled up uh, that you were in mid-season CarCast form. Yeah, I mean, it is technically almost mid-season, so 
uh, week three is is we're in week three and that's halfway through the season so I should be in midseason form uh you know if if any of our patrons over on on Patreon if they've listened to the rewatch they know that uh there is no end to my frustration with this team this is true uh Jeff from Facebook said Alicia you are my hero and at this time of Thanksgiving I am so grateful for your pithy and android insights Michael well you're a Thanksgiving hater so dot 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 <laughs> that's entirely deserved so <laughs> you are a Thanksgiving Not my fault hater. Thanksgiving's a trash holiday. I am uh, I am very thankful for our listeners like Jeff, who uh, give us their feedback over on uh, and Facebook and, and some other places. So thank you for that comment. But uh, I... <laughs> part of me <laughs> wonders what... I mean, and, and this is, this is uh, looking into the future in a, in a way that maybe I don't have... Uh, the cause to believe that this will be coming at any point in the near, in the future, but part of me wishes that or wonders what a car cast will sound like when we only have good things to say, and if it'll be something like our rant lines versus our rave lines, where everyone likes me ranting better than when I'm happy. <laughs> Could so. be. You can just go back to the 2016 episodes. Yeah. Uh, go, go back and listen to the hey, uh, Rose Bowl cartoon. Tw- 2017 Stanford. That was the last moment of happiness that we had on the I, I have never been prouder of a take <laughs> than 2017 Stanford. I'm like, did 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 they peak too much? Did they, did they put down a performance that they're never going to touch because it was too perfect? Like, yeah. like, can they only go downhill from here? And I thought I was so stupid for saying it at the time. Gotta well, say, it aged beautifully. It, it it did, it did, but not because USC couldn't put down those performances again. It's it's because Stanford turned out to be kind of bad. Well, there's 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 a give and take <laughs> a, a little so, bit, but uh, the the point is, fired up Alicia means that there were reasons for USC fans to be fired up, and you guys dialed into the Rain of Troy rant line at two one three three seven three one eight seven two. And had a lot to say, so let's get right to it. Then this ASU game is crazy. Fourth quarter, Keaton Slovis throwing good balls, and then a kid drill coming into play, and then the refs calling it good. And wait, this is Arizona again? Deja vu? USC? What? Brain Detroit Radio, what's up? This is Dave from Orange County. Michael Alicia Thomas from Malibu. L.A. Fred. Trinise from the West Side. Jake from Bend, Oregon. This is Marcelo from Austin, Texas. Hey, guys, this is Jen in San Diego. We're from Pasadena. Hey, Michael and Alicia, it's Trent calling in to the rant line for the first time. What's up, guys? This is Evan from Tempe. Hey, guys, this is Michael in Idaho. I don't know what the hell is going on. This is how we do. We come back and we win games against completely inferior teams that have no business being in the game with us. Come on, man. What we just watch? Because um, that was probably the worst football I have ever watched in my life. What's going on? I cannot believe this team. I am irritated. I am pissed off. I never want to watch them again. I can't do it anymore. It's a joke. We're actually now winning games in spite of Clay Helton and the entire coaching staff. 
Hello. We are currently 2-0. Why am I so unhappy? This has got to be the most agonizingly mediocre program in the history of college football. We should be 0-2, and, and that's almost the way I feel rather than us being 2-0. and Yay, 2-0. Woohoo. 2-0, whatever. It doesn't matter what the win-loss total is. This team is bad. We're going to get balled up by Utah next week. We play like that again. Uh, I'm speechless. I shouldn't be. This is a team that we thought they were. It'll get better at some point, but uh, maybe not in our lifetime, it looks like. Could you imagine if we actually had a coach who knew what the hell he was doing? And, like, at this point, you can't even blame it on COVID because it's the exact same stuff from last year. It's agonizing. We need to destroy these teams because Texas South is not strong enough. And I know that we have the talent to win these games so easily. Hey, I'm just calling to say I should have put money on Arizona to win this game so I could have paid for the DeLorean and drive my ass back to 2004. Uh, this is Matt in uh, Longhorn Country. I have never called the show, but my God, I am, I am so done. I can't do this every week. I have a family. I have four cats. It's too much. I'm going back to playing Assassin's Creed because I can't do this can't watch this team beat some of the worst teams in the country and just come out on top because they just fall into it every single week. Can't watch the coaching staff call read option plays where there is no read and have the outside defender just crash on the running back every single time. I can't watch this offense that has no plan in the red zone and has no capability of scoring in the red zone because they won't go under center. I'm just here to complain about the play calling. It's either really obvious or just really like, what are you doing? Like, we're doing this thing where we're constantly going for it down. We can just be taking points. How do we fall apart in the red zone every single time? We run the same damn play up the middle on third or fourth and short. I mean, when literally everyone is telling you you need to go under center, the announcers are laughing about it on air. You should probably figure out a way to go under center. Talent-wise, we got some real studs. However, they're just not being put in a position to succeed by the coaches, and this is really frustrating. And compared to my expectations, this offense is absolute pure trash. Slovis is throwing wounded ducks left and right across my television. The offensive line, with the sole exception of Elijah Vera Tucker, is soft and weak. <laughs> I talked to about the offensive line. It's just weak. It just feels like on defense, every single time we string together two good plays and get to a third down, we blow and give up a huge play on third down, whether that's it's just so frustrating and penalties and everything. It feels like the same defense as last year. Obviously, we know the coaching sucks, but it was like a different level today. What else needs to happen before somebody realizes Clay Helton has no control over this team? Can you put this all on Todd Orlando? No. No, absolutely not. But the fact that we are still committing these stupid penalties over and over again, it just needs to end. Win or lose this game, play help, tarmac scene, repeat it. Please, be done with this mess. And bring in Luke Bickle and we can just get this whole thing just jump-started now. Come on, Urban. Just leave the damn broadcast booth and come, come on down to USC, please. Please, I'm begging you. The more these horrendously ugly wins happen, the more Clay Helton is likely to keep his job. Even if you run the table this year, you're not going to make the playoffs. Just be done with him and move on. This team does not practice hard. And the coaches are going to coach the company line that, hey, yeah, we're practicing hard. What are they coaching today? They're going to keep their job. And anybody is better than what is currently going on. I've got nothing else to say. So I'm going to open up my big-ass beer. 
and celebrate being 2-0. Even if it doesn't taste as good as it should, things could always be worse. Remember, Rockbox, we could be Penn State and be 0-4. So until next week, thank God for the Rain of Troy Radio and all my Rockbox. Yeah, I appreciate you guys listening to this rant. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the car cast. I'm pretty sure Elise is just going to go off. And, yeah, so that's that. <laughs> Later, guys. Thank you. Bye, guys. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Fight out. Bye. I don't know about you, Michael, but was that our best rant line ever? It might be. It, like, it had some of the best one-liners that we've ever had. I mean, I was, la- like, guffawing half like, half of the time. I was just, every little bit was just laughter, straight up. I mean, it's the most enjoyable thing about a USC game at this point, is hearing the robots melt down in the, uh, in the car cast. I, I heard some familiar... Some familiar voices like uh, like Jen going to play Assassin's Creed. That was uh, a, a special uh, from the Slack crew, from the Rock crew on Saturday. So it was nice for that callback. But like, man, just the exasperation. Y- y'all know I feel it too. It's uh, it's at least we get at least we get these moments from these kinds of kinds of games. Yeah, people ask all the time how how do you make it onto the rant line montage? It's really simple. One, uh, have something insightful to say. Uh, two, be funny. You'll make it on with that. Uh, be clean. Uh, you don't want to drop any F-bombs. Uh, maybe the, the, the fourth and most important thing is turn down your TV if, if you call in. Uh, we get a bunch of calls with people um, going on and having great calls that we just can't hear yet because the TV's on. Or go to another room uh, where, where there aren't like people talking or whatever. Remember, you're dealing with the audio czar, and uh, and Michael takes the well, audio. Seriously. But it's not only that, but like we're putting the audio yeah. over music, right? So, but but the key is, and the reason I mentioned this, a big part of it is be funnier, insightful. And this week was a grade A week for being funny and insightful from the robots. Yeah, yeah, and just you know to borrow a word from from Jeff from earlier, be pithy. And uh, and just sort of go for it and and be passionate, uh, be whatever it is that you're feeling at that moment. Just let it all out. So uh, our listeners are, are really the best. It's it's rant lines like this that really remind me of that. And uh, thank you guys all for for calling in because at least at least we get that fun. Yeah, and as a rap about four years ago said, show me something. Show the fans something. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's right. Um, and speaking of showing things to something, uh, Alicia, you did the rewatch, like we mentioned, uh, and you did not feel better about USC's performance. Uh, tell people where they can listen to your thoughts about USC's performance against the Arizona Wildcats. Yeah, if you're not a subscriber already, go to patreon.com slash reign of Troy. You'll get the rewatch every Monday morning. And uh, really, if you just want to know what, the game looks like when it's not in the balance, which a lot of times you're watching a game and you don't know the outcome. And so that uncertainty clouds everything that you see. You don't get to pause and double check, you know, who missed that block or who made that block or whatever while you're watching the game live. So that's what I do on, on Sundays. I go through and I look at, uh, so what does this game look like free from the emotion of the moment? And what is going on 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 particular plays that uh, you know you're following the ball, but uh, you you got other things going out on the field. 
So unfortunately, this week, um, you know, sometimes the rewatch is, is more positive than the initial reaction because you get a level head and you get to understand, okay, things weren't quite as bad as they felt like in that moment. Then there are weeks like this where, no, things were that bad. They might have even been worse. So if you want to know how bad that is, <laughs> go watch the re- go listen to the rewatch this week just to find out the 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 skinny on all of that. Pessimistic Alicia is out in full force. Yeah, I wish yeah. it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Patreon.com slash Red of Troy is where you can join and get all of our bonus content for as little as five fifty five per month, in addition to ad free main episodes. Uh, you get it plugged right into your favorite podcatcher. You get a custom RSS feed and get to put it there. So that way you get to listen to all of the ad free stuff, all of the Patreon stuff, right next to your favorite podcasts like uh, No Such Thing as a Fish or whatever podcast Crime you want to recommend right now. Yeah. I'll do Crime Junkies, your sure. favorite, Michael. I'm not going to go into my crime junkies <laughs> complaints, but the point is Patreon. Patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Alicia has so much to talk about in this episode. We might have the longest mailbag section we've ever had. So uh, let's get to the news so we can get to the mailbag section. Clay Helton had his weekly Sunday night conference call on Sunday night, and he talked about injury updates, uh, including uh, center Brett Nealon was not medically cleared. I think that was all assumed, as he did not play in the Arizona game. Neither did Brandon Peely, who is out with a broken finger. He had been recovering from a surgery he had on the Friday before the ASU game. Things we found out were, like, Third-string USC quarterback Mo Hassan had compartment syndrome surgery and is out three to four weeks. Defensive lineman Caleb Tremblay traveled but had stingers. That's why he wasn't able to participate in the game. Uh, linebacker Pallier Naoteote came in and out of the game. He had a lower leg injury. Also was in the tent for concussion protocol for a lengthy time, uh, especially in the second half, and that's why you didn't see him out there. Talano Hufanga missed almost the entire first half. He had an interception early on in the game, but you didn't see him until halftime. That's because he had a thigh bruise. Drake Jackson was out for a prolonged time in the first half with uh, needing an IV. He was a little dehydrated. Needed to get some fluids back in him. Uh, and Neil said, I think the fluids did their job. Uh, he was he was juiced in the second half. I'll say I, I, that. I would say so. Uh, And then Jude Wolf had an ankle injury as well. Uh, Your your thoughts, Alicia? Yeah, I mean, it's it's two games into the season, and that's usually when the injury stuff starts to to come forward. It doesn't look like any serious long-term injuries, but in a six-game, seven-game season, you know, one week, two weeks can can be pretty costly for a player. The the good thing is that the really important guys, Talano Hufanga and, and Drake Jackson, probably aren't going to be neg- negatively impacted by by what uh, was keeping them out at times against Arizona. Jude Wolf is somebody to be worried about because he's had the ankle injury in the past and he re-aggravated it. Um, so I don't know if that just means we're going to uh, see 
Eric Cromenhoek be the only guy that they have out there at tight end because I don't think Ethan Ray is ready to go and Josh Follow is uh, hasn't really factored in because he was still getting back up into football shape uh, at the end of training camp. So maybe you know a couple weeks into the season, maybe that'll change. Maybe he'll be ready to be deployed. But you know it's it's hard to say what the future holds for you know Caleb Tremblay if he's having stingers, those kinds of things just pop up and he's had a back injury in the past so that's I of all the the injuries that are out there that's probably the one that concerns me most just because of where it's located right uh and then you know EA if he's out with the concussion got to be in doubt for Utah let's let's talk about the guys who stepped in for those players um EA especially um comes out and one of the players that we saw step in was Raymond Scott um, we know of Raymond Scott as a two-time CAF state champ out of Narbonne, which is the pedigree that you'd want from any any player, really, any person, not even a football player. Anyone with the Narbonne degree is someone you can really trust and feel good about. But the point is, he had a pretty solid game, all con- all things considered, um, for going in there in his first really meaningful opportunity um, at a key spot on defense. Yeah, I mean, I'd say he was USC's best inside linebacker. I don't think uh, there was a very high bar to clear there, but he was USC's best inside linebacker on the day. So it was nice to see him uh, blitzing the quarterback more effectively than the other guys had been able to. He was flying around. You know, uh, USC's linebackers seem to have a problem with taking good angles and making tackles, and that is... Certainly something that he had a slight issue with, but no more than Raylan Goforth or Kanai Maga or uh, Palaina Teote when he was in there. So I think there's, uh, there's, as this is the strangest statement that I will say in 2020. And I mean, me from just a few weeks ago would have been flabbergasted to hear me say this, but if Palaina Teote isn't available against Utah, USC might be better off with Raymond Scott either way. Wow. That's that's the, That's spicy. Well, I mean, Nateote hasn't looked good at all in the first two games of the season. He didn't look good at all last year, so we saw more from Raymond Scott in in, in the second half of this game than we'd seen from from EA for a long time, and that's super disappointing, but uh, it's, it's it's the the bare truth there. So, you know, good on Raymond Scott for for stepping up. But can, can I just say I'm glad Pallier Nanoteote does not have the 55? I, because I can't imagine the the crap that he would be getting mm-hmm. with the 55. We saw it with Lamar Dawson, right? Yeah. Lamar Dawson had a great first year. Uh, his second year, he was not good. And, and yeah. I think a lot of that was he was in a defense that did not suit him. And we really saw that being exposed in year two. Uh, in Monty Kiffin's defense, as that that deep zone middle linebacker, two. yeah, he, he's he's not Derek Brooks, right? And so we see it with with Balier now Teote. He was kind of put in a bad position last year. So far this year, he's had two games that have not really highlighted his play. We haven't seen him look like the Balier now Teote that we saw against Colorado two years ago when we sat here and said. Lock it up. Give him the number fifty-five. Yeah, he hasn't gotten to that level since. Since we said those things, no. yeah. His performance in that game 
was the defensive equivalent to the 2017 Stanford game. Like, he set the bar (laughs) super high because of that and never reached it since, That's a great analogy, yes. I I, I know. Uh, I have good ones sometimes. You do. Uh, Not food analogies like Ryan, but, you know, they work sometimes. Uh, the, The point is that, you know, if he had that 55, you would see so much more scrutiny that I think would be a little bit unfair and right now, I think the scrutiny for Paulier Nautote um, is more than fair because there's frustrations about what SC has been getting out of him. But I think it's in line with what's to be expected. Whereas Lamar Dawson, I thought, played well in his third season in 2013 uh, before he got an ACL tear. But he had lost the fan base because he was wearing the 55 and no one was able to ever give him any benefit of the doubt. Um, and at least... Paulier Nauteote has an opportunity to kind of win back the fan base, I think. I don't think he'd have that opportunity if he was in the 55, because I think he'd be shot already. Because of the expectations well, that, that people would have put on him, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, the expectations... I mean, the expectations on him are high already high. as it is, right? Yeah, no, it's just better for everyone that he's not wearing that number, because... Right. I mean, this is the argument we've we've had about the 55 is, you know, when do you give it out? To who do you give it out? And and I think there is a, a big argument just to start giving it out to the most deserving sort of senior player on the defense. Which I'll forever push back on because none of the guys who were stars with the number 55 jersey on their back uh, and their front, I guess it is football, uh, none of them got the the 55 because they were deserving seniors. All of them got them as as promising freshmen right. or promising JUCO transfers. Right, but that was before the 55 became the monster that it is. No, but in like, the sense of like now, well, you give it to a guy like Pali Inateote coming out of high school, it's a sure thing, except now it, we know he's better off no, wearing the one. No, people change their opinions once Junior Seau died. No, but like these. Well, but that's what I'm saying. That that's what I'm saying is that we are now living in a world where Junior Seau died, and the 55 has has grown beyond what it what it used to be as far which, as which just is unfair handed. as far as I'm right, concerned. right. But you're going to end up in a situation possibly where you have somebody like Palaiinateote who, if he had taken it as a true freshman, he would look great early on, and then. By now, it would be a point of contention. So there, there were also guys in the '90s who wore it that nobody remembers. Yeah, yeah. But again, we are not Marcus in the '90s. Marcus was a fine. We're player, not in the but, '90s. But we're not in the early 2000s. You know, we're in a stage now where people are against giving it to people at this I, point. I, so I, yeah. Either well, way, Palaiinateote barely, you know, is is representing the number one at this point. So I don't want to be too harsh on him, but it's very frustrating watching him play football at the moment. All right, let's talk about Caleb Tremblay. He was uh, obviously out, as we mentioned, with the Stingers. Um, But he was replaced by what I want to call a full-on rotation up front. Um, Everyone played. All the tees, Tui Pelotu, both Tui Pelotus, Stanley Tafuo, I hope I get that right someday. I'll I'll, I'll get it right. Um, Played, like, a bunch of guys played up front. They had Connor Murphy up there. They had even Hunter Eccles and Drake Jackson were sort of on the field together at, at a point, you know, it, they ha- in the three-man front. It was a one-man front at one point, too. Yeah, they were super flexible, and I thought it worked pretty well. Uh, I, I Honestly, I, I'm pretty happy with USC's defensive line at this point. 
I think Caleb Tremblay is an important figure for USC, being the veteran senior that, that he is, but they handled it well not having him there. So that's uh, that's a credit to Vic Soto and, and a credit to the guys who came in. And, and you know, honestly, like Tuli Tupelotu looks like a dude. So it's nice to see. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, we'll see what that defensive line does against a team like Utah, uh, which we know always plays well along uh, the line of scrimmage, both sides of the ball, even though the Utes are placing a bunch up front as well. Um, let's talk about the, uh, the, the rankings. SC, yet again, is ranked 20th in the AP poll. Is this poetic justice for SC? That they're just, not only can we talk about Groundhog's Day as, as a, you know, a metaphor for what SC football is in general, but like their ranking doesn't even change. Not only is USC the same every single week in terms of performance, but like the 20 next to their name doesn't even change, you know? I saw somebody on Twitter say that uh, the only thing that stopped USC from rising in the polls was playing games again, <laughs> which is just brutal. N- not inaccurate. No, it's very accurate. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't even think USC's worthy of the number 20 at this point. I don't know how anyone watched those games and thought, yeah, that's the 20th best team in the country. Uh, I guess if you want to give ASU and Arizona more credit than I do, that's that's possible to, to be there. The, but The crazy thing is there's several writers, I think there's like seven or eight writers that have SC as high as 14. I, you know what, I... If you put USC and Liberty on a field together, I don't know who would win, but like Liberty's resume is way better than USC's at this point. So uh, I think BYU's still in their range. BYU's resume is way better than USC's at this point. It just I I'm very low on USC right now in case people couldn't tell. And I I'm not trying to to be, you know, Debbie Downer or anything like that. Just if I was a voter watching any other team in any other colors, and they perform like USC did in the first two weeks of the season, I would be punishing them in the polls right now. Yeah, I think that's more than fair. Let's uh, talk about the SP Plus rankings. SC is 22nd. I want to say they were 24th last week. Is that right? Yeah, this is a slight move up. Uh, I don't know if it means oh, anything. Oh, I'll tell you who moved up. Arizona. Hey, playing Ar- Arizona went from 100th to 85th, up 15 spots. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, their offense put up some... Uh, some stuff there, so this, this is true. This is true indeed. Uh, last thing to mention in the news: uh, SC's game time with Washington State is now locked in for 6:30 p.m. on FS1 on Friday, December 3rd. Uh, we always knew that it was going to be that day. We always knew there was going to be a Friday night, um, but uh, it was going to be at 6:30 or 7:30. Now it's officially 6:30 p.m. Pacific. Uh, so none of you fans that are going, which is all of you, uh, don't have to worry about the traffic. Yeah, that's always good. Uh, the other thing to note, too, is that USC Colorado is in the six-day window, so we won't know what time that game is at until uh, Sunday uh, ahead of the game. So there's that. But this leads us into talking about the potential swap mm-hmm. this week, actually. Yeah. Uh, we didn't write this on the rundown, but... Um, Utah still dealing with uh, with COVID. We know that ASU and Colorado are going to play this week. That game is already postponed slash canceled slash whatever you want to call it. Um, but SC and Utah are scheduled to play this week. The Utes have yet to play a game. 
and it's still unclear if they're going to. Um, all signs point to them playing this week, but this is the COVID season. Anything can change. Uh, and we do know now that if it does, SC will be playing Colorado on Saturday instead because, funny as it turns out, like the schedule works out perfectly. ASU uh, and Colorado were set to play this week, and then Colorado and Utah were set to play next week. So it just essentially swaps opponents. Yeah, the the question will be how late in the week will that decision have to get made? Uh, Kyle Whittingham has his media availability. They moved it from Monday to Tuesday, and they were supposed to do testing over the weekend to sort of figure out where they're at. So I'm thinking that by the end of Tuesday, we'll have more of an idea of what Utah looks like. The AD made it sound like they don't have a current spread issue. They just have players who are still coming off of the, the, the quarantine time and the contact tracing time and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I guess it depends on how close were they to playing against UCLA and if they've kept things from getting any worse over the next few, you know, over the next, over the uh, ensuing few days, then that the USC game should go forward. But until we have heard, until we hear anything out of there, it's it's really hard to say if this is if this is going to be uh, something that goes ahead. And you know the 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 UCLA Cal game only got scheduled. It was Friday before they decided that they were going to do that. So buckle up, could be an interesting week. Yeah, for sure. Um, for our sake, I just hope we know. <laughs> I'm going into Wednesday night when we record the preview pod. I'm wondering if we should record. A preview of both teams. I thought about case. it. I thought about it. It's it, yeah. That would be that would be wild. Uh, do two things of over under. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's get to this past week's over under, shall we? So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, let's get into the over-under. Last week, you went two of seven. I went five of seven. Completely owned you. Mm-hmm. Dominated you. It was one of the all-time greatest beatdowns in over-under that uh, you're going to see. Don't, I don't know about that one. I beat you by three. Yeah, but we had plenty of over-unders over the last couple of years where you were way behind me. There's a reason I had such a commanding lead over you. You beat me by in 2018. Come on, come oh, yeah. On, come oh, yeah. On. Get, get real. You weren't dominating me like I just completely obliterated you last week. <laughs> obliterated sure. you. Sure. But this week, potentially a different story. I was talking about it. Your first over-under. Um, th- this might be one of my favorite moments in under over-under history, by the way. Um, you know those segments called Bad Beats? Whew. This belongs on it. Uh, you said over under ten and a half carries for each of Stephen Carr, Marquis Step, and by Malapai. Um, Alicia, you you set the line there. I quickly took the under. I actually wrote in all caps in our rundown that I was taking the under. Eighty one percent of the Rotbots took the under. Of course, it was under. Uh, Marquis Step had twelve carries. Stephen Carr had 11 carries, and Von Malapai was the one who had fewer than 10.5 with 6. Now, 
the hilarious part, the, the true irony of this, is that you should have said touches. If I had just said touches, If man. you said touches, you'd have gotten it. Because <sighs> Vimal Pei had five catches. So if you go by touches, it would have been step with 12, Car with 11 and Vi with 11, all of them had more than 10 and a half catches. I mean, touches, it would have worked out. But you said carries. Diction important on over under. Uh, and point to me and point to 81% of the rub. Well, you know what's important in over under? Not expecting a lot from USC. Like the idea that they would run rampant on Arizona because Arizona's run defense has been traditionally horrendous and that they would get up a nice lead and then have to sort of run the ball in the second half just to get the game over with. That was my big mistake. So I, I, I earned this one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, if it makes you feel better, there's ones I've earned on this one too. (laughs) Uh, my next or my first over under was over under eight and a half, eight and a half catches for Drake London he had eight for a buck twenty-five against ASU last week or the week before. Uh, you took the under on that. Sixty-one point three percent of Rotbots took the under, and it was indeed under. Drake London only had four catches. Yep, uh, it just—it was playing the odds, you know. He—he's not always a high-volume uh, pass catcher. He makes big catches for sure, but when you got Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vons and Brew McCoy and all the other guys that USC can throw the ball to, it's unlikely for anybody to get eight catches, even though I think Amon Ra had eight. I think Tyler Vons had seven. So, you know, just luck of the draw any any, any given day. Yes, indeed. Uh, next one, over under, you said 4.9 yards per carry allowed by USC's defense. This was because the Trojans had surrendered 6.79 to ASU. Uh, I took the under. 76.2% of Rotbots took the under. It was indeed under. SC held the Wildcats to 4.0. Part of this is helped out by the sacks. Um, SC did get able to uh, get to to Grant Gannell a few times. Drake Jackson with two big sacks um, in this game. Um, that certainly helped. SC holds them to 4.0, and it is an under. Another diction mistake on my part because I hate yards per carry averages when they are involving sacks because that's not the spirit of the uh of the stat. So I should have excluded sacks from that total and I don't know if it, that would have gotten me the the it, win. It would have uh 5.1 yep. stack adjusted rushing yard uh, yeah. per carry. Yeah. Well, cuz Arizona ran the ball well. So oh well, I live and learn. Not my week. Live and learn and then get uh, loves, I, I think. Is it loves? Yeah. Live, learn, loves? I don't know. I don't have a kid. I don't buy diapers. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, over under, 0.5 rushing yards for Grant Gannell, I said. Man, I set this <laughs> line thinking that that'd be a good line. <laughs> I I, I want to cling to that it was a good line. It should have been a good line. Against anyone but USC, it's it, a great line. It, it should have been. Um, you took the over, rightfully so. 73% of Rotbots took the over. It was over. It was 40. 40 yards rushing for Grant Cannell. Like, almost double that came in the first half. He lost a ton in the second half. I don't believe he rushed for a single yard in the second half. 
Uh, he lost a bunch due to sacks. Uh, again, FC sacks coming in handy here, but either way, he was a wrecking ball uh, on the ground. He took advantage of all those holes that SC was leaving and vacating space. Uh, we've talked about it before. I I don't think there's a problem in general by saying if Grant Canal is going to beat, beat you with his legs, go ahead and let him. But at some point, you need to take it away. Uh, kudos on SC for taking it away in the second half. It probably just shouldn't have taken it all the way until the second half. Uh, maybe those adjustments could have been made earlier, like in the second quarter when Arizona was uh, driving down the field on SC with chunk play after chunk play on third down with Grant Cannell and his legs. Well, and that's the thing is I think it was Michael Lev who said that Grant Cannell got seven first downs with his legs. Insane. That's uh, not good. But it did give me my tweet of the year when I said that this defense would make Matt Leinart look like a dual threat. So there's that. Matt Leinart agreed. He did. He did. He saw no lie. Yeah, this is true. Uh, your last over-under, you said over-under 399.5 passing yards for Keaton Slovis. was the same line that you had set against ASU. Uh, I took the under on this. 52.4% of Rockbox took the under. This was the closest uh, or most hotly contested over-under. Um, but again, the majority of the Rockbots get it right. It was under. Uh, Keaton Slovis had 325 yards through the air. Yeah. Uh, it's so frustrating because Keaton is still capable of putting up, you know, big 325-yard passing games. But when he's throwing floaters and having sort of weird wackiness with his arm and getting pressure in his face every other play and USC's offense isn't really moving the way that they that they want to move. Asking for 400 passing yards is, is, is probably too much, but this Arizona defense should have been ripe for the picking, and, and USC just didn't do it. Nope, nope, nope. Um, Last one, over under... 70% uh, as a red zone conversion rate for USC. Uh, this includes field goals, of course. Um, we SC was 67.7% uh, against ASU with four TDs in six trips into the red zone. You took the over. You thought SC would bounce back from that. 87.3% of Rockbots took the over, feeling real confident here. SC began this game with a perfect 4 of 4 in the red zone, only to go 2 of 4 in the second half uh, to finish the game 6 of 8 in the red zone with a 75% scoring rate. Just ahead of that 70% over under. Uh, So you get the point for the over. Yeah, but USC was in the red zone 8 times, and they scored 34 points. That's uh, 33 points. 34 points. It was 34 to 30. Oh, yeah, it was. Why do I keep saying 33? I don't know. I because don't know you want to short USC of a point, clearly. No, I'm, I'm shorting Parker Lewis of a PAT. Fine, but I saw your prediction. It was 33, well, yeah. and for some reason that stuck with me. So <laughs> yeah. I guess I was subconsciously wanting to give you credit I barely for that, even remember putting I, in that strangely no accurate prediction. <laughs> it wasn't accurate anymore. Yeah. It was accurate in my mind before a minute ago, but apparently not. Yep. 
Um, yeah, SC gets in the red zone eight times and scores 34 points. Clay Hilton said on Sunday night that if you get into the red zone eight times, you should have more than 50 points. Hell yeah, you should. Mm-hmm. And SC had 34. Mm-hmm. In the third quarter, they got in there three times and had three points. That's 18 points left on the field. Mm-hmm. Alicia, Bill Connolly's numbers said that SC would win this game by 17.3. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the 18 points right there. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, over under numbers for the week, you went three and three. I went three and three. Uh, more interestingly... The house, they say the house always wins. <laughs> Not in over under. <laughs> Not here. The house was 0 for 6. Uh, all of our bets paid off uh, for entertainment purposes. Purposes, purposes only? Sure, yeah. Um, Words are hard. Yeah. For the season, you are 5 of 13. I am 8 of 13. Shout out to the weekly winners. There was a bunch of them. Bunch of people went a perfect six and zero. Not only did the Rotbot consensus go six and zero, everyone agreed with us. Uh, everyone went against the house, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect six and zero records to Stephen Sean, Long Beach Moose, Tobias from Denmark, Steve from the Bay Area, our pal Trent Goodrich, Yoni, Ryan from Arizona, and the Mick. Is the Mick your uh, the, the Mick your is sock not puppet? It's not my sock puppet. I, I I promise you. Okay. Not 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 cheating out here. No, I'm just Mick, not the Mick. The Mick. Okay. Yes. But so the the Mick is the Mick six and zero. Oh, me three and three. Yeah, you're a Mick. Yeah, I'm a Mick. Yeah. 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 That's right. But I'll tell you who is the pick with the picks is Yoni, who is twelve of thirteen, a perfect ninety two. Not perfect, but practically perfect. 92.31% through two weeks. He's the only player in the entire game so far of over-under that has that record. bunch of people have an 11 of 13 record. Yoni's the only one to go 12 of 13. He went 6 of 7 and was the weekly leader last week. So two straight weeks. Yoni is just dominating. Yoni's showing us up, Michael. I know. I feel threatened. I know. He's the opposite of... USC football. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. The opposite. Uh, game predictions, as we mentioned, uh, Bill Connolly said SC would win by 17.3, 42-24. Um, just want to point out, if SC scores in the red zone, takes care of business, uh, breaks down the will of Arizona late in the game, they probably win by that score. They didn't. Uh, Vegas said SC by 10. Uh, if they just scored two more touchdowns. If they scored two field goals on two of the opportunities that they had in the red zone, uh, they win by 10. Uh, you, your uh, prediction was 33-23, which was sort of close. I said 40-24. to None of us were too close, of course, because SC wins 34-30 in a game in which they yet again had to pull out of their rear end. Yeah, um... Yeah. When I predicted 33-23, I, I didn't think it would be quite as unsatisfying as it was to watch USC score 34 points. But uh, but that's, that's, that's where USC's at. Yes, indeed. 
Alicia, we got a huge mailbag, so let's get to it. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, there's only one place we can truly start this mailbag, and it's with your boy, Brandon. What's up, Raina Troy? It's your boy, Brandon. Trojans win another game 2-0, but I think there's 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 something specific I want to say. I, I, Michael, I've been I've been hearing uh, what you've been saying uh, about fans. I've been hearing what some of the other Rotbots have uh, also said in in agreement with you. Uh, but I wanna I want us to kind of look at this a different way so you kind of understand. I don't know if if I speak for everybody who feels the way I feel, but uh, are we insane as USC fans right now are we insane and I what I mean by that is you know they say that uh I'm not sure who said it initially but they say that insanity is is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results so we do the same thing we don't change but we expect different results right and there is there is minute things that have been changed with this program, but to me it feels like it's the same thing over and over. I can't tell which defensive coordinator uh, has been coaching this game in the last game. You know, is it is it is it Pendergast? Is it is it Todd Orlando? Is Todd Orlando just Pendergast's Halloween costume? I don't know. You tell me. Graham Harrell. You know, is, is Clay Helton calling the plays or what? This team has not changed. It has not changed. Maybe my expectations for this team are outrageous. Maybe I need to temper my expectations. But it's it, but it's not outlandish for me to think that this team can be more and expect them to be more from year to year, and they don't get any better. They just get that they get stuck in that medium garbage, and it's frustrating and it's irritating to watch. It is I don't get excited at home watching 59 minutes of this team playing horribly to see that one minute of them doing something great, and like it erases everything else that we've seen. I can't be just okay and happy and complacent because they're 2-0 against teams that we have been a combined 20-point favorites over. We won one game by one point and then another game by four points. This team is supposed to be better than that. I understand. Some people will say, oh, well, Brandon, stop watching the games if you get so frustrated. Maybe you're right. You have a point. But I am a fan. I am a fan. And I'm going to get on here and I'm going to call you guys a bunch of times and I'm going to yell and I'm going to rant. And I'm going to sound like a complete lunatic, but at the same time, throughout the week, I'm going to listen to what you guys have to say. I'm going to listen to whoever else say whatever they have to say about USC football. I'm going to get excited about the next week, and I'm going to tune in dressed up like as if I am in the stadium because that's what it means to be a fan. I'm emotionally invested, but I also want to see this team succeed. Michael. I'm not, I wasn't coming for you. I just want to say that, you know, I wasn't coming for you. I wasn't coming for any other, other rock bots who have differing opinions. It's just that, you know, people, you know, like me, you know how I am. 
spent five years. You understand, like, I get really tied to this stuff. I really care about this team. I care about that school. And um, I just want to see them do better, ultimately. And me being upset about a team playing horrible an entire game except for a little bit is is not bad. I just want to see this team do what they should do to teams like this. Um, it's, I don't understand why it's okay for everybody else, but it's not okay for, for USC, right? We just got to play these hard-fought games against nothing teams that should not be a problem, just based on what you guys say. I mean, you guys talk about these teams and how they, you know, and I understand talking about a team on paper is not the two teams playing in the actual game. But we know this stuff to be true. It's it's clearly evident how, how, how they recruit. Um, the coaches that they have available, we understand what these teams generally are. And so, uh, but yeah, I just, I just wanted to make sure that you understand I wasn't coming for you or trying to yell at you or about you or any of the other fellow robots. But yeah, like I was saying, fight on, beat the U. Let's, let's keep pushing forward. Hopefully we can get better week to week. But yeah, seems like the Rant Line King is back, guys. I called you a few times. I think the Rant Line King is back. But I'm out, y'all. Fight on. The Rant Lang King is indeed back. We got a bunch of calls from Brandon. Had to piece together a couple of them there. Hence the little fast-forwarding action. Um, dude, I don't think you're coming after me. I don't care. Um, don't, don't worry about that. I, I think the, the important thing for me to want to clarify, not not just for, for Brandon, but I know that there was uh, people on Twitter that said that there was lecturing going on from us and whatnot. It wasn't about that at all. Like, I don't have any problem with people being frustrated or upset about this team. You should be. Like, why wouldn't you be? Absolutely be frustrated. Absolutely expect more. Absolutely uh, be passionate and want better out of this team because you deserve better. This team deserves better. Uh, This program deserves better. This school deserves better. A thousand percent feel that way. My thought uh, about the ASU game in particular was, this was this is a, a year in, that almost didn't happen. There was going to be no USC football until September. Um, that's when they changed course. The the season had been had been taken off the books. Uh, there was no football. It was a ten and a half month wait, uh, and finally it comes back. And it's this weird game in which SC pay, plays you know poorly for most of it, and yet they win in the wildest way possible. With a tip drill, uh, uh, an onside kick, uh, a crazy catch from Drake London. Things that are objectively bonkers. Things that if it was any other team, you'd be there and be like, oh my god, all over Twitter. That's when I said, you shouldn't be so angry that you can't see the joy in that. That's my point. To me, that's such a depressing way of looking at everything. To be so bitter to the point that you can't enjoy Drake London, that you can't enjoy Drake Jackson, that you're, that Keaton Slovis is on this team and you can't enjoy him because you hate Clay Helton that much. I find that depressing. I find that sad. And I, I hope people listening can find joy in this team where that joy is. That's, I'm not saying in the slightest to not be mad. You absolutely should be mad. You absolutely should be angry. I'm just saying that there's ways to be angry and to be mad and to be all of that and still at the same time be like, damn, Drake Jackson's a hell of a player. Damn, Drake London made a hell of a catch 
Oh my God, that was crazy that that had happened to to Brew McCoy. Oh my God, an onside kick? What the hell, right? Like all those things can be true at the same time. And I think that's what being a fan of a team is. It's about being frustrated that they aren't better. And that goes for any sport, any team, literally anything. You can be upset about those things, but the craziness of the sport is still the craziness of the sport. And when in a situation where the season was not going to exist, if you can't acknowledge how wild of an ending that was, maybe you should take a quick deep breath and reevaluate where where you are as a fan. That's my point. That that's it. I have n- no problem with with the outlook that that anyone like as passionate as Brandon has, certainly. And also, like I said in the car cast, I think what I was talking about um and, and looking at you know acknowledging the joy in the ASU win despite how bad it was for so long is the ASU game. That does not apply to the Arizona game because at this point, the, the layoff is not the same as it was then, right? We're, we're talking about seven days rather than 300 and, you know, 30 some odd days that, that, that it, whatever it was um, from the holiday bowl, right? Completely different. It's also different because you can't sit here and say week one jitters. You can't sit here and say, well, ASU had more preparation. You can't sit here and say, um, you, you know, I'm just glad football's back. You can't just sit here and say that that's a good team um, that, that certainly could have beaten SC. You can't sit here and say, well, Jaden Daniels is one of the best quarterbacks in the country um, about Grant, Grant Cannell, even though he's very good. Uh, it's not the same thing. The Arizona game was completely different. This was a game in which SC absolutely should have won by multiple touchdowns. They should have won the ASU game by multiple touchdowns. They, th- this game had no business being remotely close. Again, in the third quarter, SC gets down inside the 10 three times. They got three points. You absolutely need to be mad at that. And there's no reason to feel good about how that game went on. Despite winning in the last minute, that's not the kind of win where you go, you know what, there's some joy in college football because... There wasn't a miraculous play. No, this was SC having, what was it, uh, 95 seconds, I think, with three timeouts or two timeouts to go down the field with one of the best quarterbacks in the country with with the passing offense that was top five last year. Absolutely, they should have gone down there and scored in the final minute. Now, I'm not going to look at this so coldly to say that, you know, that that game was an object failure. SC did get the win. But like, the, yes, it, it completely different. World's different. There's, you absolutely should be mad. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think the the other thing I'll add to to this discussion is that I think you and I need to be careful too sometimes, Michael, because when we record a, a car cast, a lot of times we're fresh off the game, and part of the game for us is being immersed in Twitter, and Twitter is a cesspool, and I think sometimes we are talking about a particular segment of the USC fan base that is particularly vitriolic when we get frustrated with the response of of fans. And I don't think we're talking about the majority of our listeners who are, you know, more reasonable human beings, uh, than, than some of the craziness that goes on, on, on Twitter as well. But 
really when it comes down to it, I, I agree with, with your assessment. Anyone who's listened to me in, in the aftermath of this game knows I am very, very not pleased with what USC put up in front of us in uh, in the first two weeks. But, yeah, you do have to be able to, or maybe not that you have to, I think that you should strive to still appreciate great moments when they happen. Appreciate greatness when you see it. And like you said, if your loathing of the of the regime gets in the way of, of you being able to appreciate the players and the plays that they make, then I think it's probably healthiest for, for, for like you said, do the deep breath, consider, you know, the, what is one of the one of the things that they say, is really healthy is to, before you go to sleep, like think of the three best things that happened to you in the day or, or three things that you're thankful for or something like that. Like I almost need to prescribe that to, to the USC fan base because, you know, we did that at the end of the car cast. And I think it's probably the kind of thing that we need to do a little bit more often where, okay, so that sucked, but what were the three things that you did enjoy from that? And when you sort of stop to reflect on that, you find it is easy to say, well, you know, it was awesome seeing Drake London and it was awesome seeing Alan Ross St. Brown and it was awesome uh, watching USC's running backs run through tackles in order to score touchdowns and how cool is it that Keaton Slovis is able to engineer another fourth quarter comeback and and be that dude and, and you know, appreciate those moments. I mean... How and, often have we seen USC convert an onside kick? Like the, those, right. those are what we're talking about. And the importance is that saying those things does not wipe out all the frustration. Not at all. And and, and I think where, where my frustration comes and and things that we see on Twitter and message boards and Facebook and all that is that the idea that if you acknowledge any bit of the good, that you're automatically discrediting any of the bad. And that is not remotely true. My, I am always going to be the Mr. Middle of the Road. I always think that things are not as bad as they are and, not, and never as good as they are either. That's just my perspective and outlook on life. So I look at this and I find it so frustrating to not be able to see both sides of the, oh my God, this team has a bunch of talent and there's a bunch of playmakers who are really damn good at football when things go their way. And my Lord... Does this team get in their way? Are they so poorly coached? Are they this? Are they that? Are they leaving things on the field? Like, both of those things can be, and in my my perspective, are true. It's okay to acknowledge that. And acknowledging one doesn't mean that you're ignoring the other. So, that, that's, that's, that's where I'm at. So, yeah, Brandon, you're the ranking, dude. Go ahead and, and spit that fire. Awesome call, Brandon, I think. You express yourself as a fan in in exactly the way that I, I think is very very relatable to pretty much everybody. So yeah, that you hit all the right notes. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to a call we got from LA Fred. Hey, Lane Troy, this is LA Fred calling. This off season, I was really scared and worried about the possibility that Graham Harrell might get scooped up by another program or or maybe even an NFL team to be their coordinator or maybe a small program head coach. And after such a great, successful year one in the air raid, I really didn't want him to leave. So I was so excited for this year. We have Slovis coming back for year two, all the skill guys returning all across the, the field. How high could this ceiling go on this offense? Uh, as the coaches have told us, when it's running at full tilt, 
just think could put up 40 to 50 points per game. And unfortunately, I totally bought in and believed him and I should have known better. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me a hundred times like FC and Helton does, shame on me. Thanks for the call, Fred, as always. <laughs> yeah, that... I'd, everything about this season has been very disappointing. The offense in particular has been very disappointing. I do want to cut Graham Harrell the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest bit of slack because I I don't know that Graham Harrell is directly responsible for the performance of the offensive line. And quite frankly, I I think that if USC had an offensive line that was just at, at any stage reliable, if they were sort of a a B offensive line, I think this offense would roll easily. But because that unit is such a disaster right now, I think we're seeing an, uh, an offense that can't get into the rhythm and can't get it going. Now, I only cut Graham Harrell a tiny bit of slack because it's his job to deal with that. It's his job to adjust to that. And I don't think he's done a very good job of doing that. But uh, it's also, you know, you you set up a scheme and you expect your players to execute it and not uh, you know not everyone's executing at the level that they really really need to in order for them to 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 hit the stride that uh, that they should well then you got to make adjustments well yes and have a scheme that 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 works for your players well, then, and right? this is and this is what i ranted and raved about in the in the car cast was you got to acknowledge your flaws in order to overcome them you've got to uh, work around the things that, uh, that 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 are holding you back, and at a certain point, USC just fails to do that, and that's why they continue to flounder. Yeah, and we're going to talk about this later because we have uh, questions and calls about it. But the whole, you know, you probably saw it on Twitter on Sunday night. Clay Helton was asked about not going under center, and he said, "It's just not us." To which I say, "Okay, if you if you if." <laughs> If you have the self-awareness to say that that's not you, then have the self-awareness to play to your strengths. Don't play to your to your weaknesses then. Um like if it's if that's not you, then do something that is you that works. And that's where I think my biggest frustration with this offense is and I don't want to completely go into this because we got more calls about the offense, but I think I did not expect Graham Harrell to be. I, I'm very much in the same shoes that Fred is in. I didn't expect Graham Harrell to come under scrutiny this season uh, in the way that he has, which is a development that really shows you the problem about this team is that this team should, uh, worst case scenario, have been Big, big 12 bad, right? Th- this team should be a team that scores, you know. 45, 50 points with a bad defense that, that didn't translate to Todd Orlando. But that's not what this team is. Th- th- this team is with a, a defense that's that's mediocre and an offense that is grossly underachieving. Yeah, and, and the under-center thing, it's, it's really just the stubbornness of it all. When you have Joel Klatt on the broadcast basically just chiding you over it, when you have everybody, everybody in the in the studio shows saying, you know, what are you what are you doing? 
Matt Leinert's on Twitter saying, adjust then, figure out something, you know, different. It's the under center thing is just a, a microcosm of, of the bigger problems. Right. And that's the, you know, the USC is not going to have success if, if that's where they're at. If that's, if that's the approach that they're going to take is that's not us. And so we're not going to change what we're doing. Well, what you're doing isn't working. So I don't care if you're going to go under center or not, but find something that, that, that right. is effective. You, you can't choose when to be self-aware. Yeah. So. Uh, at least for me. Uh, let's let's go to another voicemail we got. Hey, this is Jay Colgate from Twitter. It's my first time calling in, but look at this offense, man. I've been saying this since day one. We've been arguing about it on Twitter. Oklahoma's an air raid team. USC needs to run exactly, exactly to the T what Oklahoma runs. Still bed and bow their offensive line coach. Drevno got to go. If Graham Harrell flirts around, See if Ben Bow can be the offensive coordinator. Get that dude. Run the same. You can run the same exact thing that they do. They run the ball. They power the ball, and they make use of their receivers. And that's what USC wanted to do: is make use of their talent. But they are still not doing it. USC needs to be Oklahoma. I'm sorry, late man. I do not think I've ever agreed with a call we've gotten on here more than this. This is where I've always been. I think that you look at USC's offense, um, and it's touted as an air raid, and I was always under the impression that it would not be the Mike Leach air raid because nobody runs it like Mike Leach. Mike Leach is the only one who runs it so, uh, for lack of the better word to say it, pure, right? Like It's the, it's the pure uh, Heisenberg blue version of, of, of the air raid, right? It's the, the the purest sort, and nobody else really runs it that way. Everyone else adds some sort of uh, variance in terms of how much they run and, and and whatnot. And I expected, with the way college football has developed, the NFL has developed, how the air raid offense and really the the passing concepts of the air raid have transitioned uh, to the NFL. We see that guys like uh, you know Cliff Kingsbury is a, was a wanted commodity. So was you know, several other air raid um, type of coordinators have been wanted in the NFL and really throughout college football. We saw LSU throw the ball a crap ton last year. I really did think that SC was going to run an offense that was closer to what Oklahoma is running um, and one that is absolutely a, a passing offense that is going to throw the ball a million times and set all the passing records but do so with the threat of a run that is absolutely lethal in of itself, like Oklahoma. And the reason Oklahoma is so good is because they can run the ball so well. Uh, and you look at the advanced metrics, they're like the number one team in, in rushing uh, last year and the year before. So, like, this is a legitimately dominant rushing attack that Oklahoma puts together. And I thought this because SC has the talent to to, to pull this off. They don't just have one set of receivers. No, there, there's a million different types of receivers on this team. There's your Drake Londons. There's your Amon Ross St. Browns. There's your Eric Croman Hokes, your Josh Follows, your Drew Wolfs, your your Tyler Vaughns, your... your McCoy. Yeah, you know, like, they're all different, right? Very few guys play in the same vein and the same style, the same archetype. There's so much variance across USC's talent base at receiver, at running back, that it just makes more sense to be 
more diversified while still running the air raid. And so I thought that the the advancement of the air raid concepts using USC's talent would be the maximum, um, you know, give USC the maximum opportunity to to go out there and score points and win games and be really good on offense, right? And I think for last year we saw stretches where that was the case. But this team right now, even though they're running the ball more than they did last year, the passing concepts, and I don't know if it's Keaton Slovis's arm, I don't know what it is, but this team is way too defensible like the, the, the Mike Leach offense. The problem with Mike Leach's offense is that while it is the pure, most air raidy air raid, you know exactly how to defend it. And this USC offense is way too easily defendable. And there's too much talent, too much variance of talent, too many types of playmakers on this team to be this defendable. When you look at Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's indefendable because they have a running game that won't that won't allow you to, to look over it. They have a passing game that won't allow you to look over it. And SC needs to absolutely look way more like Oklahoma than anything that Mike Leach puts together, despite running the air raid. Why doesn't USC look like Oklahoma? Offensive line. It, it all it is it is Beanbo. I mean Beanbo. Beanbo. Who we literally we just learned how to properly pronounce his name. And I've been I'm saying shook. this guy's name for years. I've been singing his praises for years on this podcast. I didn't realize until we. Got this call that I had been saying it wrong it's, the whole time. It's Beatenbow. I'm an idiot. Basically. I'm shook. I, 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 whatever. Either way, yes. I mean, it's that simple. I don't care. Yeah, it's that simple. Beatenbow. Beatenbow. Very simple. Yeah. Beatenbow. If you had Mike Leach's offense, if you had Lincoln Riley's offense, if you had Jeremy Bates's offense, if you had Lane Kiffin's offense, if you had. Norm Chow's offense, if you had uh, Steve Sarkeesian's offense, if you had uh, you know Joe Brady's offense, I don't care who you are, you aren't going to succeed with an offensive line that is playing as poorly as USC's is. And I cannot, I did a whole bit in the in the in the rewatch where I discussed how bad USC's offensive line was in this game, and it was bad. So why doesn't USC have a running threat? It's not that USC isn't willing to run, because they are. They are running. It's because every other run gets blown up in the backfield, and then you have negative plays that put you in a situation where you're second and 11, and then you're in situations where you're in second and you know, third and 15, because then you got a penalty or some such discipline problem that USC also has. But the, it, the, the problem for me is 1,000% what USC is doing on the, the, on the offensive line, and that's the difference between this year and last year, as far as I'm concerned. Last year's offensive line wasn't that great, but it was better than what we're seeing right now. And quite frankly, maybe USC should have, you know, taken all the money that they spent to to trade out the defensive coaching staff and thrown it all at somebody like Biedenbow. Or f- find the, the, the coach, the offensive line coach out there that is coveted by everyone else and literally make him an offer he can't refuse. Because at this point, that is the thing that separates USC from, from anybody else. You can talk about Graham Harrell and lack of adjustments and blah, 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 blah. I don't care. You could have the, mo- the smartest, best offensive coordinator who adjusts to everything perfectly. And if he had this offensive line in front of him, his offense wouldn't work. 
Counterpoint, if you know that you have an offensive line that is not producing at the level that it needs to be, why put them in situations where they are not going to well, have success? Tr- well, okay, so trust me, I was very frustrated with the way that USC insisted on pulling the guards against Arizona when every time they did it, it was an utter disaster. And so that was clearly part of the game plan, and it clearly didn't work, and, and it sabotaged the, the run game. Would USC be better off just running a, a simpler blocking scheme? Uh, maybe. I don't know. That It's entirely possible. But I have seen the breakdowns, physical breakdowns, schematic breakdowns, uh, uh, just assignment misses, everything up, down, left, right, and all it takes is one to, to blow up a play. And turn a run into so a disaster. So you're saying that it's not possible to even scheme away from it? I'm not sure that it's possible to scheme away from it when your center is getting blown back two yards at the start of every play. Or when okay. your guard can't can't block anybody that's in front. I, like, I, genuinely, I, I, I hear you. Genuinely, I, I don't know because I'm not yeah. an offensive line coach. Maybe, sure. there, maybe I'm not a run game coordinator. Maybe there is a way to mitigate that and I'm just not uh, deep enough in, in the strategies to, to get it. But... USC is 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 you know running uphill here when it comes to getting this offense going. So long as that unit is underperforming. Yeah, I agree. I agree in general. I, where I will say is if you're you're getting your center blown up off the line, and I don't think this is just a Justin Dietrich thing. I think it was a Brett Nealon thing too. Both yeah. of them are having the same exact problem, which right. tells me that it's not just a uh, an individual problem. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Then don't run the ball up the middle. I mean that's like, so th- that's that's it for me. That okay, if, if the offensive line is struggling, I get it. Then then find a way to to try to mitigate that. And I feel like SC doesn't not find a way to try to mitigate that. And the bottom line is until they get an offensive line that is as reliable as anything close to Oklahoma, they won't be like Oklahoma. Uh, I know our friend Trent Goodrich. Um, his his opinion is that the reason S, uh, Oklahoma's offense is so good is because the quarterback has a threat to run. I think that's a big part of it. But to me, what what's holding SC back from being a great offense is the offensive line. What's holding SC's offense from being the greatest offense is an offensive line with a quarterback that has the, the threat to run. But there's nothing stopping this offense from being great other than the offensive line. I, I would generally agree, yes. Yeah, the, like having like, a running quarterback gets you to the to the tippy top of the ceiling, but there's still plenty. Uh, like like this the the roof with a good offensive line is still plenty high enough to win every game. SCM can imagine the, the, if they had even a, a quarterback with stone feet. The the quarterback, the wide receivers, the running backs, the the personnel USC has is more than good enough to lead the Pac-12 in scoring, to be up in the top five offenses in the country. This offense, the person, personnel-wise, um, apart from the offensive well, line, absolutely playoff caliber. But that's, and that's what we're, you know, when you, that's why USC has won these games. Right. <laughs> because they have those skill position players that are outstanding. Yeah. Uh, there's, something else has to change, and it's either the offensive line getting drastically better right now, or... USC acknowledging that the offensive line is not to be trusted and basically saying, fine, we won't trust them. We'll take the ceiling away from our offense, but end up better off in the long run by not 
building anything around that. Yeah, let's go to a call we got from Josh in Texas. Hey, this is Josh from Texas. Is there a certain point where we have to understand that hiring um, coordinators that are not of um, championship caliber um, is going to affect us? Todd Orlando was a failure at UT for three seasons. Graham Harrell, he's young, he's good at tech, um, and he was a coordinator at North Texas. I'm from Texas. Nobody respects them in the football landscape. Um, is there a point where we have to say that the air raid offense works for teams that lack talent? There's a reason why the premier programs in the nation do not operate under the air raid. <sighs> Another frustrated sigh. Thanks for the call, Josh. Uh, I... You you may know by now that uh, I think Michael and I somewhat disagree with the idea that championship caliber teams aren't running air raid offenses. They're all running air raid concepts at this point. Uh, we just got got to talk about Oklahoma. By the way, the, concepts does not equal like full on scheme. No, like, no. There's a difference between a couple of passing passing trees, right, or whatever. Right, but the the point is that USC running the air raid isn't the problem when it comes down to it. USC having execution mistakes left and right is the problem more than anything. Well, SC and running the air raid that they are that's so easily defensible, I think, is a problem. But that, again, is a side a side note of the offensive line like we talked about before. Right. They had more opportunities to, you know, run the ball effectively more so. I, I think that that would completely change everything because, again, you know, like we got like with the last call, Oklahoma runs an air raid. It's not the same air raid, but it's still an air raid, and we know that they have one of the most elite offenses of the decade, right? Right, but uh, the again, it 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 comes comes back to the the top of the table. You know, I, I think that uh, USC is not in a position where they can attract the championship caliber. Uh, coordinators, and they're not developing the championship caliber coordinators because they don't have a championship caliber head coach. And that's why USC, you know, USC got Cliff Kingsbury, but he left for the NFL, and that was unfortunate. But he wasn't going to be long for USC anyways, and Graham Harrell was a a plan B. Uh, If you believe the reports, Dave Aranda was in the bag for USC. And then he got the head coaching job at Baylor, and Todd Orlando was a plan B. So USC's coordinators are plan B coordinators, and and maybe that's what we're seeing is that these aren't the finished articles or these aren't the elite guys that that can elevate a team. But when it you know when it all comes back to it, it USC would have to be willing to spend the money to get those guys. They would have to have a head coach who is discerning enough to understand what elite looks like. Not just what an elite coordinator looks like, what elite assistant coaches look like, what an elite game plan looks like, looks like what an elite practice setup looks like, all of those kinds of things. You'd have to you'd have to have the the program be in a better position there. And and I think that Clay Helton has proven that he he's he's just not that guy. He doesn't recognize those uh, the, the the excellence that he'd need to in order to to uh, take a coordinator like Graham Harrell and put him in the best position to then become elite. Yeah, I'm not sure SC's coaching staff um, is able to discern what uh, what it takes to be a championship-level offense. Yes. Uh, a championship-level team, period, not, not just offense. Because 
uh, in Sunday night's uh, conference call, Clay Helton was talking about how they ran the ball for 173 yards against Arizona and that they had targeted 165 to 170. Like, they want at least that many rushing yards per game. Because they looked at it and they said, okay, who are the teams that can throw the ball at an elite level uh, in college football? And they said that last year it was Alabama, LSU, and SC. And statistically, that's not a wrong opinion. Uh, SC was absolutely up there in terms of passing offense, especially late in the year. Um, And LSU and, and Alabama were insanely elite at throwing the ball. Insane, right? They were better than Oklahoma at throwing the ball. But the 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 misconception here is Clay Helton says that the difference was that those two teams at least ran the ball for about 165, 170 yards at least, and SC didn't. And that they knew that if they get to the if they if they just run the ball that many times to get that many yards, they will be a championship team. And the problem with that observation is it's not necessarily wrong. Yeah, if you those teams are gaining more yards on the ground, but it's not a cause and effect. You don't become a championship team because you had 173 yards against Arizona. You're a championship team, and if you're a championship team, you run the ball for 173 yards against Arizona naturally. Yeah. It doesn't happen because you chase those yards. And it feels like USC right now is trying to reverse engineer what a championship team is without knowing exactly what that means. And it's all sorts of like misguided assumptions on what being that level really takes. Well, and and uh, not uh, and, and as a result, they don't adjust to what that level would take. I mean, Nick Saban, what sets him apart is how much excellence he demands from his coaching staff. Not just his players, from his coaches. Urban Meyer went viral over the weekend for this uh, speech he gave about looking under the hood and, and seeing uh, what what makes up a team. And one of his things was, I, ex- I expect more from my coaches than from my players. Because those are the guys who are going to get the players ready. And I think that that's where Clay Helton, th- th- this is where we're now well enough down the line that Clay Helton has proven who he is. He is not the guy who can get the most out of his coordinators. And the difference between Clay Helton and Nick Saban or Urban Meyer or even, uh, you know, uh, uh, lesser coaches that are out there even is that he doesn't seem to be able to understand when to m- make those demands of excellence. I mean, we talk about how easily defensible USC's air raid is right now. Well, the head coach should be looking at the offensive coordinator and say, no, you need to adjust because this is not good enough. Instead of, well, we got 170 yards, so we're doing okay. No, Nick Saban would be sitting there going like, bro, that wasn't good enough. Fix it. Figure it out. Especially when half of those came on two carries. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's I think that's ultimately what, what separates um, where USC is at. The coordinators are, are, are just a, you know, the players, the assistants, the coordinators, they're all just a reflection of of the uh, the deficiencies that, that are there at the top, I think. Those are those are all, uh, you know, Wait, mis- mismatched there. Are, are, you, are you saying that, well, doesn't quite, uh, are you saying deficiencies reflect leadership? Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> Here's my thing, like, 
Nick Saban could hire Todd Orlando, and he could be a great defensive coordinator in Alabama. And if he wasn't, he'd be kicked to the curb. So that's where USC goes wrong, is that you either the head coach either makes your coordinators great or he knows when to move on. And I, and I don't think that that's what USC has. And uh, we here know when to move on to the next voicemail. You've got mail. Let's go to a voicemail we got from Mo. Hey, guys, it's Mo out of Atlanta. My rant, my question is, we see that Grant Harold and Clay Helton refuse um, to make the adjustment and going out from under center. But what I don't understand is why not stick with the run? Why not stick with Stephen Carr and, and Marquis Sepp, who've been getting big chunk yardage? I don't understand why not stick with those guys and why not run the ball? Those guys get you in the red zone and you go away from the run and, and run pass, pass, pass. What are we doing out there? Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mo, for the call. I'm I'm with you that I would love to see USC unleash these running backs. I would love to see Marquis Step just get the the opportunity to tear it up. I would love to see Stephen Carr get the opportunity to tear it up. But I've spent this entire offense stressing to everyone that USC's offensive line cannot be trusted, and nowhere is that more apparent than in the run game. Marquis Step is an is a is a great talent, but even he gets taken down when he gets hit in the back in the backfield even he can't make something out of nothing every single play or you know Stephen Carr is out there turning you know one yard losses into two yard gains and it's incredible work that he's doing but it's still only a two yard gain um the the running backs are at the mercy of the of the blocking that's in front of them and it's not good enough and so while I would be on board with saying that I think USC has the the capability, the the backs to have a great rushing offense. I'm not sure that I'm ready to see USC just continue to hand the ball off to the running back if you're just if you're just setting them up for disaster because your guard is going to miss a tackle or your miss a block or your tackle is going to miss a block or your center isn't going to be able to 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 hold his ground. Um, it's 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 a problem. It's a it's a real problem, but that's the reality for USC and and like I said, maybe the solution is to change the way they're scheming the runs. But you know, that would require again, not to be a broken record here, but that would be re- require USC to acknowledge that the run game isn't good enough and and based on Clay Hilton's statement that uh you know, we got 170 what odd yards, that doesn't sound like somebody who thinks that the run game isn't good enough. Yeah, where I'll push back on this, I just pulled up the the play chart uh, for the the two drives in which SC did not get any points in, in the third quarter. The two that in, that were set up by the run. So the first one, Marquis Step runs for seven yards and then forty nine yards. That takes it all the way down to the Arizona nineteen, just followed by two straight passes, uh, which gets you to third and two at the Arizona eleven. From that point on. Everything was run-focused. Marquis stepped run on third and two, on fourth and one, on first and goal, and second and goal. Four straight runs with Marquis Step that gained one, two, three, and four yards. So they were trying to run there. Uh, They weren't exactly getting a a ton of yards, but they got all the way down to the one-yard line with Marquis Step. Um, And then you have a false start and delay a game to give you third and goal from the 11. At that point, you can't run the ball. 
you got to throw the ball, and that's the incomplete pass to Brew McCoy that sets up the missed uh, field goal from Parker Lewis. And then the second drive, uh, which is really the third drive that they screwed up in the third quarter, but the, the, the second drive that they go pointless, um, the first play of that drive, it starts at the 50. And Stephen Carr goes for 37 yards. The very next play, they go right back to Stephen Carr for a rush for two. The next play is a handoff to to Malapai on second and eight. So on first and second down, from inside the 15, they're trying to run the ball again. But they get two yards and one yard, and then a pass interference play that sets up third and 22, and you have to throw. So... They're getting those big chunk plays, but they're, it's not the, the running plays are not reliable to keep them ahead of the sticks. And then you add in these penalties and these silly mistakes, and then they're way behind the sticks, and then they have to throw. And this is a Keaton Slovis that we've talked about before that it has a wobbly ball, and that is not helping at times like this. And you're putting a lot of pressure on him to make a play. Um, and on that last drive there, Keaton Slovis completes the pass to Drake London for 21 yards. He nearly gets it because you have great players making great plays. But you needed him to get 22 yards. He got 21. You shouldn't have asked him to get 22. That's a little unrealistic on third down. Yeah. And I don't think it was for a lack of running. I think it's a lack of effective running, which is really the problem. But again, if you're Clay Helton and you set your goal for 165 yards and get 173, you're like, oh. We passed it. We must be a championship team. That's not exactly how it works. Uh, let's go to a text message we got from Yonatan who says, why can't they ask Keaton Slovis to get under center? It is such a key aspect of a quarterback. I would improve their chances of converting on third and fourth of short. Uh, insert angry emoji here. Keaton should be more willing to run after going through his progressions also. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you in, in a lot of this. Uh, going under center would hurt. Like we've talked about before, I think both Alicia and I agree, if you're going to have the self-awareness that that's not you, because that's not your scheme, okay, then have the self-awareness not to run an inside zone that's going to get stuffed when you have a center that is not pushing forward. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, there is nothing stopping them from going under center and doing what Arizona did with Grant Gannell on a on a QB sneak. There is nothing stopping them except for, that's not us, quote-unquote. Um, but again, I, I don't think that's the, the fix necessarily. Um, I think there are other ways to fix it without going under center. It's, it's just USC is unwilling or incapable to, to, Throw incapable to, yeah, to figure that Throw kind of stuff slant. out. Yeah. Run off tackle. Use, use your great wide receivers. Throw a bubble screen. You, you know <laughs> what? If, if the situational play calling is not working, Throw away the situation. Uh, act, Pretend, act like it's... It's third and four. Act like it is second down and four. Yeah. What would you run on second and four? Yeah. When there's no pressure? Yeah. What are you going to run on second and four? Whatever that is, run that on fourth and one because that's going to have a better opportunity of converting than having Keaton Slovis in the pistol just turn around and hand it off or try to do this weird zone read where you know he's never going to keep it in a million yeah. years. We we saw this with with um, Cody Kessler, where he kept and those, JT Daniels. The, the Cody Kessler kept the zone read one time on the in the first two years under under Steve Sarkeesian. The time he pulled it was in the Pac-12 championship game against Stanford. The longest con in history. 
Yeah, you shouldn't have to wait two years <laughs> to pull it. Well, okay, and the other thing I want to address on this uh, the sex message is Keaton being more willing to run. Um, I think that's fair, except that Keaton will have had the coaches in his ear for a year now saying, don't get injured, don't get injured, don't get injured, don't get injured. I think that may be also contributing to some of the, the, the ways that... Because he was willing to run uh, last last uh, year, scramble where he could, but he's been they've definitely been telling him not to risk his body. Yeah, and he's a little bit older, and we know that when quarterbacks are a little bit older, coaches want them to look downfield more and make a play downfield. The good thing is Keaton Flopis is good in the pocket to recognize when he needs to move up in the pocket, move around, uh, scramble. He's been pretty good at that to to stay nimble enough despite not being a runner. Uh, let's go to an email from John in Azusa. This is a fantastic email, and I've been looking forward to talking about it since we got it. Um, hi, Alicia and Michael. I have a bit of a controversial question. Spoiler alert, I don't think this is controversial. I think this is fantastic. Uh, I have been watching some college football games the past few weeks, and noticed quite a bit of programs are struggling during this pandemic. Penn State is 0-4. Michigan is 1-3. LSU is 2-3. Utah has not played a game. Uh, BYU has played eight games and won them all. On the flip side, quite a number of small programs like Cincinnati, Iowa State, Indiana, and Liberty have been relatively successful. Do you think this pandemic has revealed the programs and coaches that have instilled good discipline and preparation given the circumstances? Or do you think it's too small of a sample size, scheduling is off, and or this pandemic has just made everything weird? I'd love to hear your thoughts. As always, keep up the great work, John in Azusa. I, I, I love this question because it is something I'm constantly wondering about this year. I don't know how to evaluate teams this season. And not just SC, but anyone. And I think that with SC's problems, you can look at it and say, well, these are the same problems that they've had for X amount of years, and so you can kind of eliminate the COVID factor, even if the COVID factor is valid. It's easy to just say, like, that's not a reason, right? But with the other teams, I don't know how you how you explain it. I'm not watching every down of Penn State or Michigan football to be able to to tell you the same way that I could about SC, right? So I don't know. And these are one, this is one of the things that I've pondered. And I think the answer is probably yes. It's a little bit of all those things. Maybe this year has caught out a bunch of, of coaches that were teetering on the edge. Maybe this year has, has um, uh, allowed coaches who require more control um, to succeed. I, I don't know. W- whatever it is. Uh, and I think everything is genuinely weird that we have to take everything with a grain of salt, period. So it's a little bit of everything, but it's worth thinking. It's worth thinking about because when I got this email, I, I read it to you, Alicia, because Penn State, Michigan, and LSU are interesting because those are three head coaches that have historically been criticized for being flawed. James Franklin... John Harbaugh, and Ed Ogeron. One of them has a national title, um, and not the one that you would expect has the national title. Ed Ogeron <laughs> has the national title of, of, of the three. But you, you look at them, and they've always gotten criticism for their coaching, um, at least Harbaugh at Michigan has, right? Um, and so 
is this a year where COVID is exposing these coaches? Or are those just teams that are, are those just some of the teams that are struggling? Because we know that Georgia looks like Georgia's struggling despite their record. Uh, they're not as good as, as they could be. Um, Auburn is, well, does anyone ever know what Auburn is? No. So, um, Cal just got blown out by UCLA, right? Like, I don't think it's just those three teams. There's a ton of teams. But is it about that those those guys have been flawed and then this year is just completely catching them out and exposing them? Is it that simple? I don't know that it is. But but you had, you had a really good um, uh, hypothesis. Well, my thought going into the season, which is why I was going to judge USC rather harshly, in this season, even though there would be an argument for not judging anybody in this season, given the circumstances. And I would be wary of generalizing and putting anybody into the, in, into the same pot, given that, you know, Penn state has my, is it doesn't have Micah Parsons. So, you know, the, the, their roster is not what it would have been. Um, USC doesn't have J2 Fele. Their roster is not what it would have been. Michigan also had guys opt out and LSU lost everybody. So, you know, there are extenuating circumstances that are definitely playing a role in how teams are dealing with this season. But the overriding thought that I had going into the season was that the teams that were going to be successful were, were the teams that have a good enough team culture that the individuals would take it upon themselves to prepare in a way that would get them to that, that would lead them to success. Uh, this season, because when it comes down to it, I, I think that that the the record or your performances this year are going to be a reflection of the team as it's composed of individuals. Because each individual player was sitting at home in March and April and May and June and July, and they weren't under the umbrella of the coaches. They weren't. They couldn't have their hands held. Uh, with their workouts, with their film study, with the the way that they prepare. And so it was really going to come down to, A, which coaches could, from afar, keep the team together. And that was going to be something that was built up before the, the pandemic started and, and maintained through it. And then, two, which coaches, coaching staff and coaches have compiled teams with the, ma- with the necessary mental makeup to have gone through the, the this weird, weird offseason and not lost a step. And I really what I, I really do think it comes down to individuals. It it really comes down to the players themselves. The the coaches can only uh provide a platform upon which players can can succeed. And coaches are responsible for the success of of their players, but when it comes down you can't you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you, you can't make him drink. And the really great coaches lead that horse to the water, and the horse is, is, is motivated and ready to go and, and, and you know, drinks all the water that they need. And that was what was ultimately what was going to make the difference. So team culture, uh, to me, was going to play a huge role. Now, does that apply to every single one of these examples? I don't think so, because there are so many different variables that go on here, but really to to me we're seeing we're seeing which coaches have set up like like J- John pretty much sort of got into set up the culture of preparation 
that allowed players to carry that through a really difficult offseason. I'm not sure if I've expressed that um, fully, but... I'd love to see what the numbers are for teams based on the percentage of players that they've lost. Uh, Mind you, SC, the the number of opt-outs SC have had has been relatively low compared to a lot of schools, Um, especially at the key key positions, right? Like, Keaton Slovis could have opted out. He didn't. Yeah. Amon Ross St. Brown surely could have opted out and gotten ready for the NFL. Well, ABT did opt out. came back. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, Talano Hufanga could have opted out and gotten ready for the NFL, too. Those guys did not do that. So um, SC is fortunate enough to have those players and yet are still struggling. So I think it's a little bit of everything. Um, I, I will say um, that this year, I think, once again highlights that there's only a few good teams in the country. Yeah. I, I know that 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 it feels like, you know, there's 126 teams who have played football this year thus far, and it feels like there should be better, more teams. That are better, there's not. This there's, have, this there, there's there's three undoubtedly elite teams: Alabama, Clemson, uh, and Ohio State. And this could have been the year that was a great equalizer. This yes. could have been the year when everybody was on even footing, and instead, those three great teams that you reference have only looked significantly better than everyone else. Yes, there, there's three undoubtedly elite teams: Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama. The very next tier is a huge step down, and that's Notre Dame, and then maybe you can argue Florida and Texas A&M. Maybe. Mm, eh. I guess. And then there's, maybe you can throw Georgia, maybe. But then there's a huge step down to everybody else. Like, like really, I think it's the, the, the top three, and then a huge step down to Notre Dame, and then a huge step down to everybody else, and then a huge step down to mediocre like they it, it is wild and i don't think it is um you know a, a coincidence that there's only a few coaches in college football that have national championships that are active right it's because weirdly as with as many teams as there there is there's not enough parity at the top the same teams always win uh, and that's one of the frustrating things about college football but it's also a sign that it's really hard to win. Most teams fail in at this sport, uh, especially in a year like with with a, a global pandemic that has screwed up preparation. Um, it, it would be more entertaining if a couple of of those four teams at the top, uh, the the for certain three, uh, Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama, or Notre Dame, who is definitely the the very next team. If they faltered this year, it'd be easy, more, probably more entertaining, but it's it's not. On you just you just prompted a a comparison, an analogy in my head. I I, I wonder if it's the same thing that I have in my head. On Sunday morning. Yes, it is. Boom, got it. <laughs> the Turkish Grand Prix Prix in uh, in in. I love how F1. you and I think. It's great. Yeah, in F one was raced on on Sunday and. It was a weird situation. It had rained all weekend, so they were dealing with a wet track. The track itself had just been repaved, resurfaced, so it was sort of a, a weird surface that they were driving on. Not to get too technical here, but the tiniest little background you need on F1, Mercedes is far and away the best team. They have far and away the best car, 
and they have the best driver possibly in history in Lewis Hamilton. And one of the criticisms of Lewis Hamilton, who is basically the Nick Saban or the Bill Belichick of uh, of, of race car drivers, apparently, essentially, um, is that he is in the by far the best car. Like Mercedes is is a significantly faster car than anybody else drives. But they turn up to the Turkish Grand Prix this weekend, and the Mercedes isn't the fastest car. It's struggling on this track. Red Bull and and some other uh, uh, racing points and and some other teams have a faster car on the day. Then you introduce the rain, which is the great equalizer. The rain is chaos in 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 motorsport. It is it is the thing that takes whoever has the fastest car and it throws it out the window because it doesn't matter when the when the ground is wet and cars are are struggling for traction and grip and all that kind of stuff. So Turkish Grand Prix comes around. Lewis Hamilton starts low down uh, on on the grid, and at the start of the race, it looks like the Mercedes aren't going to have any business in this race. And long story short, Lewis Hamilton wins the race running away. Why does Lewis Hamilton win the race running away? He's not in the fastest car, so you can't just say, oh, well, he's in a Mercedes, so of course he's the fastest because that's who that, that, that's the, the car doing the work. No, it was the, the skill of the driver to manage his tires the way that he did, to manage the rain that, the way that he did, to race as cleanly as he did, to do everything right shows how incredibly skilled he is and what sets him apart from everybody else in in the other cars. It didn't doesn't matter how fast your car is. Lewis Hamilton is just a better driver than you are. What, and Mercedes is a better team. And and Mercedes is the right? well, for instance, why is Mercedes so dominant? Because the team because they ha- they have produced the best car because they are managed the best. They have the best uh, uh, mechanics, they have the best uh, uh, team manager, all that kind of stuff. So, not to get too far into the F1 stuff here, I want to bring this back to college football, but it's like Alabama recruits as good as any, everybody else. Like, Alabama always has the best recruiting class, so they have the best car. They have that inherent advantage. But when chaos happens, when the rain comes, when everything gets thrown into, 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 into uh, disarray... Alabama is still capable of doing what Lewis Hamilton did in the Turkish Grand Prix because they're that much better than everyone else because Nick Saban is that much better of a head coach than everyone else. And, you know, we could call maybe Dabo Swinney is the Max Verstappen of uh, of, of, <laughs> of college football or, or of, of F1, whatever, whichever way you want to do it. But really, when it comes down to it, you're watching these races and you recognize there's really only the best driver the second best driver, and then everybody else who can occasionally have a good day. That's what college football is like. It's Nick Saban, it's Dabo Swinney, and then it's everybody else way, way down below them. And it's not just because they have the best recruiting, even though they do. It's because they have the best recruiting because they are the best run programs in the country, because they have the the best, the most discerning coaches who understand what excellence looks like. Yeah, and Nick Saban is winning with elite talent, right? Like, we can sit here and say that Clay Helton is winning because of his elite talent. Well, Nick Saban is winning because of his elite talent, too. He's also the reason why he has elite talent. Yeah. He also knows how to deploy that. And why that elite talent doesn't let him down constantly, which is what happens to to Clay Helton. I could then make an an example of how USC is the Valtteri Botas of of uh, F1, but we don't want to go too far down there uh, and talk about, you know, spinning out and 
five Six times in a row. Six times, man. <laughs> Six times. So, yeah. that, that finish rally race. We're going to get is, so many messages from people saying, it. stop talking about F1, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah, but but Stroll. Stroll on pole did <laughs> not work. Stroll. Okay, we'll shut up. We'll shut up. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, let's get our voicemail from a rot bot in the 2-8. Or make that 2-2-8. Michael, Alicia, after watching this game against Arizona, how many of these recruits are pulling out after watching this dumpster fire? Thanks for the call, buddy. Uh, you know, we, we've always said that results specifically don't have the biggest impact on recruits. Um, I think if, if I were a USC commit or a recruit looking at USC, I would be more concerned with the state of Clay Helton's sort of job security than two wins that were closer than they should have been. I think that's the bigger. Yeah, SC thing. did have a decommit on, uh, on, on Monday. But that was being talked about uh, for a couple weeks, so. Yeah, so I, I don't think it's a situation where recruits are watching all this stuff. Recruits care about next year more than more than this year. Hence why uh, Clay Helton's status as head coach would matter, but it's less about the specific outcomes of each game or how teams are playing um, in each game. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back and then rapid fire the rest of these things. we got a bunch of them. Let's try to keep this thing under two hours. We'll see. <laughs> You've got mail. All right, Alicia, it's time to rapid fire. L.A. Fred says, which currently is the worst position group on the team, and why is it the O-line and the linebackers? Uh, it's the O-line and the linebackers. Uh, it's specifically, it's the O-line, because at least the, the linebackers are a ravaged uh, unit that had you know three potential starters go out with injury before the season even started. So... The the offensive line is just a mess. Yeah, I, I would uh, say that's an easy way to put it. Uh, L.A. Fred says, given the lesser of the two evils, which of those two groups has the potential of having more improvement as the season goes on? The O-line or the linebackers? I think the O-line is more uh, set up to succeed because they're more veteran. But you're also talking about fixing, you know, four positions as opposed to just two. So, and I say four because ABT is flawless. So, yeah, I I kind of like the linebackers' abilities to maybe progress in the in the defense. Well, they have a new coaching staff. They have right. the Todd they have, they have the excuse, even if it's not a, an excuse people want to hear. Right? Todd Orlando could have a positive influence on those guys, given enough time. We'll see. Right. Uh, Allie Fred's last question. Interesting point I heard, so I don't get credit for this. But do you think with Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt's open uh, air criticism of USC, do you think it could hurt recruiting? Uh, I, again, no. I, I think that the recruits are going to look at Clay Helton's status. Does Clay Helton uh, get back on the hot seat? We know SC, for SC fans, he's on the hot seat, but is he on the literal hot seat? Is a different story. If he is then yes, but that, that criticism is not determinant of whether or not he's on the actual hot seat with, with Mike Bone. It definitely doesn't help. Um, I would be more interested in Mike Bone sitting watching that game and hearing that very, very pointed criticism and, uh, and, and USC's power brokers hearing that kind of criticism in public and how that impacts the, the, the head coaching situation. Yep. Uh, email from Aaron. Every Clay Alton game turns out the same, a litany of bad penalties. 
failed third and shorts that kill drives, an opposing defensive scheme that looks like the steel curtain. When will it end? We hear every year how these the, these are great players and superior athletes that SC can win 10 or 11 or 6. Thanks, COVID. Uh, games each year, but can they really? The line play leaves a lot to be desired. Defense always seems to be a step behind, and the game plan looks just uninventive. Joel Klatt was basically giving the game plan on how to beat SC and what's wrong with the program. Seriously, they can't practice under center for two snaps for practice? Fire Helton and fight on Aaron in Staten Island. Yeah, thanks for the email, Aaron. And, and <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, we call it a Groundhog's Day for a reason. And when will it end? I mean when a change at the top is made, I, I suppose. That's the best possibility for it ending, although it's no guarantee that things will get better because uh, every coaching hire that you make is also a gamble. So, uh, yeah, prepare yourself for that. Let's go to Scott in Memphis. Hey, uh, Michael, Alicia, this is Scott from Memphis. Long time, no talk. Just listen to your uh, After the Game podcast, and there's not really anything more to add. You said it all. I think, though, the only thing I would add is uh, overreaching is the Pac-12, when they decided to make such a short season, maybe with the exception of Oregon, all anyone's really playing for is to decide who's going to play BYU in the Fiesta Bowl. There's no opportunity for playoffs. And beyond that, I just think that we all are just going to have to wait and see. If we start losing games, then... Maybe, you know, we can change Clay Helton and start to look to the future because the longer we keep on with this, the more Oregon is gaining power through their recruiting and through their better play. And we're, we're just falling further and further behind. That's the depressing part. That's why watching USC football is just making me sleepy now. So anyway, I hope y'all are safe and, uh, there's some thoughts. Take care. Have a good one. Fight on. Alicia, uh, thank you, Scott, by the way, for the call, as always. Uh, Alicia, is it the time to have this discussion about Clay Helton? Uh, We have had it before. You have already said that you do not think he can possibly get fired this year. Do you still believe that? I'm still leaning that direction just because uh, I've been around USC long enough enough to know how they operate. Uh, Mike Bone is is a little bit of a difference that a different guy that we're we're now having to sort of gauge how he's going to act but seeing Will Muschamp get the axe at, at South at South Carolina the other USC seeing the reasoning that uh, that the reporters have said about that which is that the boosters and the and the administration was worried about fan apathy costing them more in the long run than a 13 million dollar buyout those were words that I think poked my brain a little bit and got me thinking that maybe, maybe, maybe uh, Mike Bone is of the uh, of the of the type to understand the apathy, to to understand just how uh, frustrated USC fans are. Mike Bone. The, the The only thing though is that normally he would have been spending this entire year engaging face to face with fans. He hasn't really had that opportunity because of COVID, so maybe that's an impact. But at this point, he's got to have talked to enough people to know that no one is happy. And he's got to see the responses to these games and know that nobody's happy. And he's got to take into account the the fact that 
USC might get back into the Coliseum with a, with a crowd next year, but that crowd is not going to fill the 77 seats, 77,000 seats that are that are at the Coliseum at this rate. Uh, there is serious apathy going on in this program, and maybe USC will will view that as a good enough reason to just pull the Band-Aid off and, and start over. There's also, I saw another thing on Twitter that was talking about how some programs may use COVID as a, a cover to just dump contracts that they don't feel confident in and call it, uh, you know, cutting, uh, trying to cut costs for the future. Or, I believe I mentioned that months ago. You did. So, you know, that is a possibility. I'd still wager that it's more likely that they keep Clay Helton uh, mostly because it's it's not time to have this conversation yet. I mean, I'm openly writing it on com, so I'm a hypocrite, but USC is 2-0, and and USC, I, I can tell you one thing, USC is not firing a 6-0 and head coach. So Does this team look like they're going to go 6-0? No, I don't think so. I think I think Utah will beat uh, USC. I think USC is now in danger against Colorado and Washington. Because they have they have quarterbacks and they look like they're uh, they're rolling. So these are these next few weeks will say a lot. Something's got to change for USC. But then again, USC has shown in these first two weeks that they know how to pull off miracle wins. So let's say they do it a few more times, and then you're in a situation where yeah, you did need to start losing games in order to really have this conversation. Yeah, I I absolutely think that uh, I I've said it the whole way through. I think Clay Elton, if he doesn't win the South, um, is gone. I think that Clay Elton, if he doesn't win the Pac-12, um, depending on how that plays out, could could be gone. Like I, I don't think that that COVID means that it's not happening, and I think that that's a false sense of security if you think it is. Because yeah, you can absolutely play the one of two cards: the um, South Carolina card to be like. We're going to pay the buyout and have cost certainty going forward, plus avoid fan apathy, which I think is an important card to play. Or you're going to say, you, 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 you can potentially play dumb and say, oh, well, this is the cost-cutting measure, and do it that way. You could, you could do it either way. I don't think COVID is stopping you from making a move. Is he going to get tarmacked? No, of course not. Is he, is he you know, uh, going to get fired uh, in the middle of the season, in any other way that's not a tarmacking? No. Like, you're going to have to wait for it. But I think that it definitely could happen. Yeah, the the question is when, who does USC have their sights on to replace him? If it's Luke Fickle, he just signed an extension, and maybe you want to give a couple of years for that, but then you're, you're in the... Uh, in the danger zone of him getting poached by somebody in the Big, t- Big Ten or you, you somewhere else. You can't wait years you can't wait. for people. No. You either strike where the iron's hot or don't. You can't expect that someone will just be ready when it's convenient for you, especially because the longer you put that off, and the longer it is that you have uh, Clay Helton in this case, and then you're having to re-up him, and we all know that people don't like when I say that. Yeah, yeah. So I guess m- my hope would be that Mike Bone and Brandon Sosna and, and everybody who's involved in, in this new team look at it and have this that have the conversation that we've been having. If you keep Clay Helton after the twenty twenty season, do you need to extend him? And that should be the overriding question is are you actually going to extend Clay Hilton? Because 
you might make the decision that you're better off just moving on instead of extending him, uh, even with the, the buyout that's there. Uh, but like I said, you you got to, A, have an idea of who you want to go after and how viable they are once you make that move, and B, you need to be willing to be ruthless if, if Clay Hilton does pull this off and go 6-0. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's go to a Slack message from Pacific Northwest Trojan. I'm starting to think about NFL comps for some of our players most likely to be drafted. The immediate thought I had about Amon Ra, especially after seeing that delicious block he laid on Jack Jones, is that he reminds me of Heinz Ward. Similar size, tenacious blockers, super competitive, good route runners, not super speedy. Ward ran a 4.55.40 at the combine, and I'm guessing that's what Amon Ra will run. Are there any comps that immediately come to mind for our top NFL prospects? I mean, I know Drake Jackson has at least another year of this, but I think his ceiling is Von Miller if he stays at OLB. Alicia, what do you think? You're the comparison guy. I'm I'm terrible at, at these things, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you. Although I do love the Heinz Ward comparison for Amon Ra. I don't know that that Amon Ra is as physical as Heinz Ward. Like, like, to me, I think that Juju kind of fit that bill. Yeah, yeah. And not just because it's easy to say that now because Juju is with the Steelers, but, like, I think Juju is as physical as Heinz Ward is, even if, as a receiver, um, I think that Heinz Ward and Amon Rock kind of draw good comparisons there. Um, I kind of like Amon Ra and Steve Smith. The the other Steve Smith? The Panther Steve Smith? Yes, but a slower Steve Smith. I think that Panther Steve Smith is was faster than Amon Ra um, is, but silky smooth in, in, in a similar way. Um, and even then, I, I know that that's not completely perfect of, a, of an example there. Um, I'm trying to come up with someone for Drake London that isn't Michael Pittman. Uh, Drake London is... is extremely hard to pin down because he's he's remember I mean the thing we talked about last night is uh, he's Michael Pittman on the inside uh yeah yeah I don't I, I can't even think of of someone similar yeah and um let me think on on defense who who would be Drake I mean Von Miller I think works I you I'm, certainly hope he can get there yeah um I don't know if this is perfect but I, Drake Jackson remind you a little bit of Demarcus Lawrence, maybe. Huh, that's interesting. I I could I could see it a little uh, bit. It's been a while since I've 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 seen Demarcus Lawrence with the with, it was with the Cowboys, right? Yeah, the Cowboys. Yeah. I don't know. Just 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 a thought. I I I'm I'm a struggle bus on a lot of these 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 kind of comps. Yeah. Same. Um, but but if you guys have any, let us know, and um, and we'll talk about it in uh, in, in the next episode, uh, and we'll see what we can get over here for Pacific Northwest Trojan. Uh, we got a Slack message from SJ from Santa Barbara. Did you notice Arizona employing a f- the fake injury several times? SC tried to hurry up after a big play. It was suspicious. Uh, this prompted a reply from Grumpy Oso on Slack. There should be a change to the injuries on the field rule. If a player claims to be injured, he should have to sit out a minimum of four plays instead of one. Uh, this should reduce the number of in, of players faking injuries. So I think this is interesting. Um, 
I, I I didn't clock it as much this game. I thought it seemed to be a thing with with ASU last week. Um, I didn't clock it nearly as bad this week. I think that uh, maybe this was people just having the eye out from based on the Arizona State game. But you rewatched the game a little bit closely. What was your thought? I noticed it more on rewatch uh, okay. than I did. I wonder if that's watching from home and having like them go to a commercial break instead of being in the press box and you're just sort of sitting there in silence and going like, okay, someone's down on the field. Uh, maybe it's just more noticeable that way. But I, I'm i not against the idea of having players have to sit out. It's a double-edged sword because that could hurt USC on legitimate injury concerns. Uh, I don't, I don't know the solution to this except for teams being sportsmanlike, and maybe that's asking too much of uh, of opposing teams. I'm yeah. hesitant to accuse anybody of faking injuries, especially in a season when the lead up to the season has been different. Especially when you know player safety has always been a talking point. Uh, really, the last decade, right? And, and and is a very important topic that we need to be conscious of. It makes this all a little murky. Uh, so you don't want teams taking advantage of it, for sure. You want to find a rule that, that makes sense for everybody. Um, I think the important thing for me is, I think it's, <laughs> if that's true, that, that everyone is uh, de- deploying the, the fake uh, injury, like if it's a thing that we see because of SC's offense moving quickly, I think it's interesting because I don't think SC's offense is particularly fast, actually. So, like, I feel like it's a little, uh, uh, it's a little cheap from defenses because you should be, you you should be ready for SC's uh, offense. They're not going that fast. Um, But let's wrap this up with a Slack message from Dave in Orange County. Uh, what other obscure 90s sitcom character would you attribute to a member slash coach of our team? I'll start with Clay Helton as Coach Fox from Coach, and ironically, Keaton Slovis as Parker Lewis, Drake London as Will Smith, and Gary Bryant Jr. as Carlton from Fresh Prince. Thanks for the message, Dave. Uh, I, I find that with the, the exception of the Fresh Prince reference, my knowledge of 90s sitcoms is coming up short here. <laughs> um, in, in in the 90s, I, I was watching Fresh Prince, but I was also mostly watching like shows on Nickelodeon. I didn't really watch a lot of of other stuff. So, Michael, this one's this one's gonna have to be all you. All right. Um... I, I I think I got one. Remember, do you ever watch Seventh Heaven? I uh, I had a friend who was really into it, and so I I did watch. I feel like I could I could see you being a Seventh Heaven. Person. I I was not a Seventh Heaven person, although one of the young one of the sons, like the blonde, I forget Simon. What, Simon was uh at I was at a Chaminade football game with my best friends, and he was in the row behind us, and we freaked what? out. What? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was a big deal for childhood Alicia and, and friends. That's awesome. How, yeah. how old were you? Like, uh, were you in high school? Not yet. No, I, I would have been like 12. I don't know. <laughs> it's Simon. It's Yeah, it's Simon. We were like freaking the hell out. It was it was funny. Um, I So I'm going back and forth on who Simon is. It, what, I think it was, it was the blonde. The no, it's David Gallagher. I, I know who. Yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. I'm saying, 
what the comparison is. Oh. Um, is Simon closer to someone like Keaton Slovis, or potentially would he have been better served to say that that was Matt Barkley? Uh, yes, sure. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Can uh, I? Can I jump in here real fast? Because I just Wikipedia'd uh, uh, Gallagher, uh, David Gallagher. Yeah. So he graduated from Shawinade in 2003. So it had to be before that. It was probably like 2000 when he was a sophomore because he was young. He was still pretty young. So I would have been like, yeah, like nine or ten. Also, I didn't realize he went to USC. Wait, Simon went to SC? According to Wikipedia, he went to USC and majored in film and television studies and graduated in May of 2007. So there's a USC connection here. Here you go. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. I, I got another one. Uh, Al Borland is, uh, as uh, Clay Helton. What do you think? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um... <laughs> I that I did watch Home Improvement. That was not, that was a sitcom that I did watch in the nineties. Uh, I like it. I like it. I think it works. Uh, yes. Uh, okay. What do you think about Mark as um uh, as Keaton Slovis? Yes. That I think yes. that 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 works, is right? that that yes. But but not like scary Mark. No. You remember how scary Mark turned? Like he, at one point in the end of the series, he was like this goth. Oh no, I don't yeah, remember so that. I, I'm talking about like like ho- early wholesome. season, early series Mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll go with um, who who would who would Toolman be? I was gonna say who's Tim because there's got to be a Tim to to can, help. Can, in- can you do the voice? Oh, oh. Oh no! I can't. Yeah, I can't do it. Yeah. Is Mike is Mike Bone, Tim, Toolman Taylor? I could see it. I could see it. Yeah, that's something. Or or is is Mike Bone um the the guy next door, Wilson? Uh, you you don't see his face. I I think Wilson? we see more FaceTime from Mike Bone though. Like okay, just just spitballing, just spitballing, but. Uh, that's going to wrap this up. Uh, it's been one of the longest episodes in podcast history. Uh, if you made it this far, if you made it this far, uh, you have to tweet us right now and tell us you did and then tell us your favorite home improvement character. <laughs> That's the yeah. only way we'll know that you listened. If you don't text, if you, if you don't tweet us, if you don't email us, if you don't call us, we'll never know that you made it this far. So, like, the three of you that make it this far, let us know. But, anyways, we'll be back later in the week uh, to preview whoever the hell SC plays next. Utah, Colorado, uh, whoever it may be. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, our email address is randomtroyatfansite.com, phone number 213-373-1872. Uh, give us a call. Give us a ring. Give us a whatever. Uh, Alicia, final word? Shook. As in, I just looked up goth Mark Taylor... And I am shook. I've been shook twice in the course of recording this episode, and I don't know how to handle myself. Oh, dear. I'm telling you. The sto- the storyline gets dark. <laughs> he, he, like, buzzed off the 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 flowing locks, and he's got, like, a... Were, a were, you, were you a JTT girl? I was... Oh, everyone was a JTT girl, Michael. 
Everyone was a JTT girl. <laughs> yes. Polly and I would say JTT. Let, hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. As a prospect, dreamy. All of a sudden, what have you heard from him lately? Uh, very little, but... When was the last time you heard JTT? He... Exactly. We'll see you next time. See ya. <laughs> see ya. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.